0: Thank you, Jesus. My name is Les. I'm the lead pastor here at Mercy Culture Church where we love God, we love people, and we love mercy. The vision of Mercy Culture is to take people from corporate encounters with God to daily personal encounters with God. What that means is, is that our church is not just about an incredible corporate encounter with God, but wasn't that an incredible encounter with the Lord. Can we give our worship team a hand and thank them for leading us? into his presence, but we know that if you can get into the presence of the Lord every single day and encounter God and hear his voice and then have the faith to step out in obedience to whatever he said to do, you can't fail. I'm going to say it over here to this side. I said, if you can get into the presence every day, hear the voice of God and have the faith to step out in obedience to what he said to do, you can't fail. Why? Because God is smarter than you and thank God he is smarter than me and I don't know how you live life without being in the presence of the Lord and how you live life without guidance and direction from God. So if you live a life that's confused and that's dark and that's filled with ups and downs and turmoil, I want to challenge you today, make a plan to encounter the Lord. Listen, not everybody encounters God in the same way. There is only one way to God, and that is through his son, Jesus Christ. But in Jesus, there are many ways that we can connect with God, and we want to help you to discover how you best connect with the Lord, and we do that through a process that we call MC Connect, and MC Connect is the first step in joining Mercy Culture Church. If you've been kicking the tires for a while, you've been coming and visiting, don't be a six-month-sixth, six-month Wow. Don't be a six-month visitor. Say that three times fast. <laughs> Jump in, because if you've been visiting for six months, at a certain point, it gets a little weird. So just come on, be part of the family, but text the word CONNECT to 5990. We're going to send you a link with some videos and helps explain to you who Mercy Culture is, what's our vision, our values our unique characteristics, our leadership standard? What's the story of Mercy Culture Church? But most importantly, it is the way that we disciple you into daily encounters with the Lord, which is the key to your long-term success in walking with the Lord. We have a few quick announcements to make. Um, We've got morning prayer that comes up this coming Wednesday at 6.30 a.m. That's all right. If you have not been to Morning Prayer yet, we want to invite you. It's life-changing. It's an incredible experience with the Lord. We do that the first Wednesday of every month. That's this coming Wednesday. Uh, Mercy Culture Spiritual Leadership School launches in Waco this fall. Yes. If you are curious, you want more information about the, our Spiritual Leadership School, text SLS to 59090 to get more information about that. Um, we've got Marked coming up this weekend, our ladies' conference <laughs> will take place at our Fort Worth campus. How many of you ladies are going? Let me see your hands. All right. If you haven't signed up yet, text Marked to 59090. It's going to be an amazing experience. Last year, I said I was going to put on a wig and sneak in. It was Awesome. Uh, If you'd like to get my notes, text the word notes to 5990. Everything that's in front of me will be sent to you. We can go there. I want to welcome you to the tent this morning, our temporary location. The building right outside of those doors, um, as you pass when you parked, is our new building that we are currently in the midst of remodeling, and we've taken some great steps and strides, and things are moving along quickly, and we'll be in that building very, very soon, and we're so excited to be in there, but in the meantime, welcome to the tent and welcome to Mercy Culture. Let's turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1. It says, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And in my speech and my message... We're not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power, say power of God. Come to tell you today that the greatest defense of the Bible is an encounter with its author. My title of the message this morning is apologetics, defend, defending your faith. As I was in prayer over this message and over this service this week, I believe that the Lord showed me that he was going to miraculously heal people in this service today. And if you were with us in first service, most of you were not, but during first service, we saw more than 10 people miraculously healed in our services. Come on, people that had knee pains and back issues and issues for years, God Miraculously healed because we encountered the God of the Bible. And if you are sick in your body in any way, if you have a pain, if you have a sickness, if you've been dealing with depression, fear, anxiety, anything at all in your body, if you would just lift your hand. If you have anything that you're believing God to heal you from today, and I want to ask you to lock in. This morning, and to partner and believe God that during this service today, He would move upon your body and heal you miraculously. The word of the Lord over our church this year in 2023 is the word dunamis. This is the prophetic word over Mercy Culture Church. And dunamis is the Greek word for power, it means the power to strengthen and fortify. The prophetic word was released over this house, and that means if you are a part of mercy culture, that is the word for your house, that this is the year that God would strengthen and fortify your home. But how many of you know, whenever we began to prophesy that word, I didn't fully realize what that meant. It's prophesying and believing and standing on it. God, you're going to strengthen and fortify. But what happened was, everything that could be shaken has been shaken, we start asking God to strengthen and fortify us, God begins to reveal the places that we have weakness. And that's not always comfortable. Can I get an amen? Sometimes when you start to feel those areas that need to be strengthened and need to be undergirded and you, the, the Holy Spirit begins to reveal the areas of weakness in our lives, it can be uncomfortable. But God is strengthening us so that we will be able to withstand the wind and the waves and we will not be shaken and we will not be moved. That's why he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. We see in Acts chapter 2. Beginning in verse 3, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The infilling of the Holy Spirit is how dunamis goes from on you to in you. And I believe that it won't just go from on you to in you, but from in you to through you. There will be a releasing of the power of the Holy Spirit through you and your life. We've been in a season of strengthening the foundations of our faith. We've been in a season where we've been diving into biblical and theological truths. Just last week we showed a video message which we do from time to time from Pastor Landit and he preached a message called the Return of Christ and it was a powerful word on the on our belief, our eschatology, which is just, end-time theology. If you've ever wondered or had questions about what's going to happen in the end times and you weren't here last Sunday, I encourage you to go to the Mercy Culture YouTube and search the return of Christ and watch that message. It's so impactful and revealing. But I, wanna, I want to um, go over some of the prophetic words that have been released over this house for this year. This is the year that he will fortify the foundation's of your faith. No one stumbles and falls behind this year. No one loses their faith. This is the year that you will be people of the spirit and people of the word. The year that the word of God, the Bible will strengthen you. The enemy tricking you with, did God really say, will no longer work on you for you will know what is written and you will know the word of God. This is the year that you will be strengthened by the word through reading and memorizing his word. Psalm 199 says, thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. This is the year that the cycle of sin is broken over our lives because we hide his word in our heart. One of the greatest ways to strengthen and fortify the foundations of your faith is to know the word of God. Listen, Mercy Culture, it's important for you to know we are a people of the Spirit and the Word. I said we are a people of both the Spirit and the Word. You see, we can't just be a people of the Spirit who are searching for the next feeling from the Spirit of God, but we must be rooted and grounded in the Word of God. If you become a person who's just spiritual, we all met that person, and they say, well, I'm spiritual. What that means is I'm making it up as I go along. What it means is I go by whatever I feel. The Bible says that those people are tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. If you are chasing a feeling and you are not grounded in the word of God, you will become weird, you will become flaky, and you will be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. But in mercy culture, we are people of the word. I want to encourage you. I want to give you some advice. How do you become a man or woman of the word? Read the Bible every day. We've got an MC reading plan. You can text one word daily30 to five ninety nine. We'll send a link back to you. You've got a 30-minute plan there. Just take 30 minutes a day and read the Word of God. Wash yourself in the Word. Start somewhere. Today, I'm going to preach about apologetics. And apologetics simply means a reasoned argument or writing in justification of something, typically a theory or religious doctrine simplified apologetics is the understanding of why you believe what it is that you believe. Unfortunately, in the Spirit-filled church, so many of us take our brain outside of our head and leave it at the front door when we come into the church. We've got people in the room this morning that are businessmen and businesswomen. We have physicians and scientists and chemists and people of great intelligence. We've got moms and dads. It takes a lot of intelligence to raise kids. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. we got people in college and in graduate school. We've got people of all ages that have a brain, yet some, for some reason, we've convinced ourselves in certain circles that we don't need that brain when we come into the house of God. But apologetics is the study to help us to understand with our minds why we believe what we believe. Why? Because if you don't have a foundation of the word of God, you will be confused and you will be manipulated by people weaponizing God's word. But you need a full understanding of why you believe what you believe. You see, when I was growing up, I was raised in church. I received the baptism of the Holy Spirit at seven years old. Never forget, I was at youth camp. They laid hands on me, one person in one ear saying, Hold on, the person in the other ear saying, Let go. And I was believing God to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Lord baptized me. I got my prayer language. I began speaking in tongues. I go to the payphone. Y'all don't know nothing about that. We used to have these things called payphones. If you're old enough to know what a payphone is, just raise your hand. These are my people right here. Put your hand down. You don't know. <laughs> She saw it on a movie once, but we had, we had a payphone, and I went to the gym, called my parents. I'm like this, I could barely talk to them because I've got the, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I could feel the power of God running through me. The next night I prayed in tongues again. I didn't know what it was. So I went back and called my dad and said, I got it again tonight. The Lord was moving on my life. But so from an early age, I was exposed to the power and the presence of God, but I did not focus on understanding why I believed what I believed. And then guess what happened? The winds and the waves of life came against us. Nikki and I have been in full time ministry for 20 years, over 20 years now. And we had gone through some seasons of very difficult ministry very unhealthy places, and I was wounded, and I was hurt, and I began to read some books and different things that sounded really nice. It tickled my ear, and it came into agreement with my offense. Came into agreement with my offense, my frustration with the people of God, and because I didn't have a strong enough theological foundation of the Word of God, I began to deconstruct my faith before that was cool. You can't even open up social media without people talking about deconstructing their faith now. I'm an I'm a OG when it comes to deconstructing. And I came back to the Lord through reason or through my mind, understanding why I believed what I believed. And so it's important that you know that the Bible is the word of God. I want to read to you straight from the Mercy Culture Statement of Faith. It says this, the Bible is the word of God. We affirm that the Bible, containing both the Old and New Testaments, is alone. Say alone. The only, infallible, inspired word of God. And that its authority is ultimate, final, and eternal. It cannot be added to. Subtracted from or superseded in any regard. The Bible is the source of all doctrine, instruction, correction, and reproof. It contains all that is needed for guidance in godliness and practical Christian conduct. God's word is the highest authority in our lives. And as a church family, we are rooted and grounded and founded in the immovable, unshakable, inerrant word of the living God. In 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 23 it says, since you have been born again not of perishable seed but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. Verse 25, but the word of the Lord remains forever and this word is the good news that was preached to you. Matthew 24 35, Jesus said heaven and earth will pass away but my words will not pass away. Listen, beware of people who devalue or dishonor the word of God. It is the step before full-blown heresy. Many of us need to be careful about who you are allowing to speak into your life. If it's through social media, if it's through the YouTubes that you're watching, the podcasts that you're listening to, if people devalue and dishonor the word of the Lord, you need to be aware You need to have caution and you need to understand that they will lead you into heresy and foolishness. So what does dishonoring the word of the Lord look like? Well, one of the ways that we dishonor God is we apologize for the Bible. Defending our faith does not mean apologizing for the Bible. I unapologetically believe in the word of God, regardless of how it makes you feel. I believe in the word of God and that it's true. And when people begin to step out of unity with the word, you'll, you'll, you'll pick up on some clues. They'll say stuff like, well, if it was up to me, I would do things differently. They'll say things like, I know this is what the Bible says, and I'm just preaching to you because my hands are tied, and I wish I could change it. I wish there was something different. What they're saying to you is, you know I love you, and I love you so much, but that Jesus, he just doesn't quite get you like I do. Jesus just doesn't quite love you as much as I love you. And I wish I could change the Bible, but I can't. They are apologizing for the word of God. That is dishonor and disunity with God's word, and it will lead you into a pathway of destruction. Knowing God's word is the greatest defense against deception, false teachings, and heresy. We see in Matthew chapter four, beginning in verse five, this is Jesus, he is on his 40-day fast, he is weak in his physical body, and he is wandering through the wilderness, and the devil comes to him, and he takes him to the side, he takes him up to the holy city, Bible says, and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and he said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written, ah, the enemy is quoting scripture to Jesus, the word. He said, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you and their hands, they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone. Satan quoted uh, Psalm 91 verse 11, but Jesus says in verse seven, again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He quoted back to him Deuteronomy 6, 16. Why? Because Jesus understood the power of context. Jesus knew the word of God. And what happens is the enemy will use one scripture taken out of context of the rest of the scripture to come into agreement with your flesh and make you feel what you already wanted to feel. The enemy will use the word of God to manipulate you into doing what he wants you to do. That's why it is important to know the word of the Lord. Jesus didn't use individual scriptures and cherry pick them in order to manipulate the Bible to support what he already wanted to believe. We've got to know the Bible. The Bible that is a collection of many different books. It's 66 total books, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. There's scribes. Priests, prophets, and poets would keep records of their history or their encounters with God. This book consists of categories of poetry, history, biography, letters, and apocalyptic symbolism and more. It's got 40 authors over 13 centuries, three continents, and three languages. There were carefully preserved records dating from the second millennia B.C. to the first century A.D. And God used his servants or people to write down his inspired words. We see in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, that all scripture, say all scripture, all. is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That word breathed. Or inspired is the Greek word theonistos. It means divinely breathed into. What this means is that the Bible, the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible. God used man to write down the inspired words of the Holy Spirit. Pastor Landon, our lead, senior lead pastor at our campus in Fort Worth, he preached a beautiful message on this topic called The Bible is the Word of God. We're going to show it here. Over the, in the next few weeks, but I encourage you to go to our YouTube again, search our YouTube channel for the Bible is the Word of God. I've watched this message over and over again, because there's so much information. If you want to dive more into this, I encourage you to go and do that. Let's go to Second Peter chapter one verse 20. it says. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. For no such prophecy was ever brought forth by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. God is the author of the Bible, and he used men to write it. We need to understand the Bible. How was the Bible formed? You probably heard the concept of the canonization of Scripture. That word canon is a Greek word, and it just means the rule or standard. And when we talk about the canon of Scripture, that is describing the final compilation of all of the books of the Bible that were put together in both the Old and New Testament. So I get this question a lot. How were the books of the Bible selected? Well, I've got a short answer for for you, by God. The books of the Bible were selected by God, but there was some criteria before the canonization of scripture. The criteria for the Old Testament was, does this, do these books conform or align with the Torah? What is the Torah? That is the first five books of the Bible are the revelation of Moses. In the New Testament, there were four criteria to the canonization of those books. Number one, it was the apostolicity of the the book, which means was it written by an apostle? Number two, does it contain trusted history or can it be supported by other historical texts other than the Bible? Number three, does it have a relevance to both Israel and the church? And number four, did it have longstanding usage and application? Simply put, God revealed himself to Abraham and the other texts of the Bible continue to support and undergird that story. God, in his providence, chose what would have been preserved. The books that you read in your Bible are the books that we have that have lasted and that were preserved for us by God. There will always be critics challenge the Bible. If you could post the most benign scripture on social media ever you could ever think of or imagine, and somebody's going to have a problem with it. Somebody's going to want to argue with you. They're the Facebook warrior. They're going <coughs> click, 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 click. to get on Facebook, start typing away, and begin arguing with you about the Bible. And they say things like, well, it's just a book chosen by man. It's just a bunch of books that man put together, and it's been It's been translated and translated, and its mistakes have been made over the centuries. Listen, there'll always be critics, but when you study and you continue to dive in, you will find answers to the critics. But when the foolish read the Bible and they find something that they think that they disagree with, they assume that they're right. But when the wise read the Bible and find something they disagree with, they assume that the Bible is right. So what is your heart posture? Do you think that you are smarter and wiser and more informed than the thousands of years of Christians and believers in the word of God that have come before you? Or do we have a modicum of humility to say, I'm going to study to show myself approved because it is the same spirit that is whispering in the ear of man today that was whispering in the ear of Eve in the garden of Eden Genesis chapter three. Verse 1, it says, now the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say, you shall not eat of the fruit in the garden? You see, Satan whispered to Eve, did God actually say? And he's still whispering to all of us today. If any of you have ever heard the voice of the Lord, I can almost guarantee you that the next voice you heard was, well, did God actually say? Did I really hear that? And he is continuing to speak and whisper and bring doubt into our hearts. But there is not another book in the history of the world that has withstood so much attack and scrutiny and demonic resistance than the Bible. So how can we know that we can trust the accuracy of the Bible? Well, I have a question for you. Do you question the reliability of any other historical text? Because if the critics wanna disregard the New Testament, they must also disregard other ancient writings by Plato and Aristotle and Homer. You see, most people don't question the historical accuracy of the Bible because they have researched and find reasons to question it. They're not using their mind, they question it because they have a heart problem with the Bible. You see, many of the same researchers and studiers and individual people who have questions or who, who reject the historical historical accuracy of the Word of God are the same people who teach the historical accuracy of Plato and Aristotle and Homer. Because it's not a mind problem that they have. It's a heart problem. It's a spiritual issue with the Bible. You see, history trusts the Bible. There are some standards that researchers use to determine if a work is historically reliable. The first is what was the time span between the original document's completion to the first copied manuscripts? And the second is how many copies of the original manuscript was made? I'm gonna use just two examples this morning to show you that this is not a mind problem we have, it's a heart problem. We know, we, we, Plato wrote a work called the Tetralogies, written at about 400 BC. And between the time that he completed that work to the first known manuscripts of that work was about a 1300 year time gap. And there were only seven original copies of that work. And historians consider the Tetralogies to be historically reliable. In contrast, the New Testament From the time the New Testament was completed to the first known manuscripts, the time gap is only 40 years. And there were over 5,000 original copies of the New Testament. You see, the Bible is 98% textually pure. Through all of the copying of the biblical manuscripts, the entire Bible only has about 2% in question. Nothing in all of the ancient writings of the entire world even comes close to approaching the accuracy of biblical documents. But most of us in the room have never even heard that fact before. Because it's not a mind problem, it's a heart problem. And the 2% of the Bible that is in question does not affect biblical doctrine. These are areas of interest that are called variants. And they consist mainly of variations in wording and spelling. The Bible is the most historically accurate and preserved, preserved document in the history of the world. The Bible is unparalleled in its accuracy of communication. It is unequaled as a reliable source of historical information. It is unsurpassed in its relevance to people throughout the century. Even science trusts the Bible. I love this research project that was done by a doctor named Dr. Peter Stoner, he is a probability specialist, the chairman of mathematics and science at Pasadena City College and West College. He's an expert in the area of probability. Probability just means the extent to which something is probable, the likelihood of something happening or being the case. And Dr. Stoner did a project in the 1950s on the probability of the 300 predictions or prophecies of the Old Testament coming true 400 years later in the New Testament. And his criteria for determining which prophecies that he would consider actually coming true were that it could not just have been mentioned in the Old Testament, but there must have been additional historical text proving that that prophecy actually came true, meaning he didn't use the Bible to prove the Bible. He used the Bible supported by other texts. And they did the the, the probability of this, and as they began to study, they began to realize how impossible it would be that those prophecies could possibly come true. When they got to just 16 of the biblical prophecies, only 16 of the prophecies that they had analyzed that had come true from the Old Testament to the New Testament, they determined that the probability would be the same as if you took the entire state of Texas and covered it in two feet of coins. Anybody ever driven across the state of Texas? My grandfather used to say the sun has risen and the sun has set and I ain't out of Texas yet. It's a big state. And if you took the entire state of Texas and covered it in two feet of coins, you took one of those coins and put a red dot on it and buried it somewhere in those two feet. Then you took a person in a plane Dropped them out of a plane with a parachute. Wherever they landed, they reached down into the coins, pull out one coin, and that is the coin with that red dot. That's the same probability that 16 of those prophecies could have come true. In other words, it's impossible. The Bible is the word of God. And we can trust that the Bible is the word of God because only God could orchestrate 66 books from over 40 authors spanning 1,500 years from three continents in three languages, all pointing to one man on one cross. John chapter 5 verse 39 says, you search the scriptures because you think of them, you think in them that you have eternal life and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus said that the scriptures bear witness about him. but We have so many believers that are bearing false witness about the Lord because we don't know his words in the Bible. Exodus chapter 20 verse 7, one of the 10 commandments. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless, who takes his name in vain. Most of us have heard this commandment in the Bible. And if you're like me and raised like I was raised, you were probably told it means not to say the word God if you're not praying or speaking about or to the Lord. And so we have this idea that if you go to a baseball game and somebody hits a great hit, you go, God, that was a good hit, that that's what this scripture is referring to. And we need to understand, we just read this and it It says, the second part of this scripture, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Another translation says, for this, there shall be no sacrifice. So what that means is the 10 commandments say, God will forgive you of murder. He'll forgive you of lying, cheating, stealing, adultery, all of these things. But he won't forgive you for saying, my God, I had a rough day at work. Doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? That's because that's not what this scripture says. The Hebrew word is actually don't, it's not take the Lord's name in vain. It says thou shalt not carry the name of the Lord in vain. Another translation says thou shalt not or you cannot attribute to God things that he never said. Nothing births more atheists than people attributing things to God that he never did or said. And often we do this from even good intentions. People will think that they are ministering to someone and think that they're quoting Scripture to them when actually they're carrying the name of the Lord in vain. People will say things like, God will never give you more than you can handle. I saw some of you take a deep breath because some of you have had well-meaning people tell you that. And I don't know about you, but I've been in seasons of my life where I definitely had more than I could handle. And so what do you do with that individual who may have just tragically lost their entire family in an accident and some well-meaning Christian comes and say, well, you know, brother, you know, sister, God will never give you more than you can handle. And they are overwhelmed and can't handle it. Let me tell you something. It is not the Christian that they will become disillusioned and offended with. It is God that they become disillusioned and offended with because they believe what the Christian told them that this is what the Bible says. And people are probably thinking of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, where it says, no temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is not, God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. But the scripture. What Paul is saying in this scripture is that God will never allow a temptation that you can't get away from. In other words, he'll never put you in a situation where it is impossible for you not to sin. There will always be a way out. But people confuse that with God will never give you more than you can bear. Well, the same author of 1 Corinthians is the author of 2 Corinthians. And Paul says in 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. He said, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength, we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. In other words, Paul said, we were given more than we could bear. And God used that trial to teach us to rely on him instead of merely on ourselves. We as believers, we say foolish things in the name of the Lord. Things like, you're not supposed to judge. I heard a gasp. I'm going to lean all the way in because I know some of y'all are quoting the only scripture you know. Matthew chapter seven, verse one, do not judge for you too will be judged. I think it's the most well-known scripture in all of the Bible for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. You see people quote that scripture. That is Jesus speaking. He said, don't judge lest you be judged. However you judge others, that's the way that you're going to be judged. And people take that scripture and they use it as an excuse to ignore evil. They used that scripture to placate their flesh. They said, ooh, that makes me feel good. You see, I didn't want to confront this evil that I'm seeing in my workplace. I didn't want to confront the evil that I'm seeing played out within my own family. I didn't want to confront the evil that I'm seeing at my kid's school or at my college or in my society or in my friend group. Ah, I feel so much better now that I know I can't judge any amount of evil. We partner with the scriptures that we cherry pick to make our flesh feel better. You see, turn the other cheek and do not judge. These are scriptures that are meant to inform us on how we must treat individuals. These are not prohibitions against the confrontation of evil agendas or movements. As a matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 7, The the world can't hate you, but it does hate me. Why? Because I accuse it of doing evil. What is Jesus saying? He's saying, I made a moral judgment and accused the world of doing evil. In that same chapter, chapter 7, verse 24, it says, look beneath the surface. This is Jesus. So that you can judge correctly. Another translation says, stop judging by outward appearances and start judging justly. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if you can't make a moral judgment, you will be a moral fool. If you refuse judgment. To make moral judgments. If you say, I'm going to put on blinders. And I'm not going to determine what's right and wrong through the word of God. I'm going to partner with my flesh and give up my responsibility to confront evil. You will be a moral fool. In Matthew chapter 7 verse 15. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing. But inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. This is Jesus saying, you can judge by the fruit that you see in people's lives. As a matter of fact, in Psalms 9710, the Bible says, let those who love the Lord hate evil. That word that is actually, or let, is actually The Hebrew word for that word uses the command form. It actually means must. So a translation of that scripture is those who love the Lord must hate evil. We are commanded by God to confront the evil in our society. We have things and we hear things like, follow your heart. Ah, one of my least favorite pieces of advice. And people tell us this all the time. We see it on billboards, we see it on T-shirts. We see it on bumper stickers. We see it stuck on the side of people's uh, water bottles. Follow your heart. Follow your heart. I've seen it on posters in kids' schools. We see it all over the place. And a lot of Christians believe that the Bible teaches us to follow our heart. Nothing could be further from the truth. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things, say all things, and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? But we have bought this concept that we can follow our heart. It is the reason why we live in a feelings is reality society. It's the reason why we live in a society that says to believe your truth. Listen, let me tell you something. There is no your truth. There is no my truth. There is simply the truth. This is the reason, because we follow our heart, that we have medical professionals, doctors. They are teaching in medical school today that men give birth. This, that You should have laughed when I said that. But that's just a sign of the times. We don't even laugh anymore. If I would have said that five years ago, everybody in this room would have cracked up laughing and thought I'd fallen down in the parking lot and smacked my head on the pavement. But we all know that it's true because just in the last five years, our concept of truth and reality has completely been shifted and changed. Why? Because we are following the movement and the feelings of our heart instead of the truth of the word of God. We say things like, I follow my conscience. Ah, I follow my conscience. And I know that that comes from For for a lot of people, it comes from a pure place. You say, well, what do you mean, preacher? I follow my conscience. I'm led by that internal voice that's inside of me. Well, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12 says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. Listen, the conscience is useless. Your conscience simply means that you go by whatever you feel at that moment. I got bad news for you. The people who did the greatest evil in all of history had a clean conscience. The people who orchestrated the greatest mass murders in all of history, they slept well at night. Their inside voice told them that they were doing the right thing. We don't follow our conscience. We follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, which never deviates from the truth of God's word. I've got some advice for you, ask yourself this question, from where do I get my values? Worship team, if you would come up. Ask yourself, from where do I get my values? You see, so many people get their values from that internal voice. They are following their conscience. They think that their value system comes from what they feel on the inside. And I'm a good person and my values will lead me to the right place. If you do not get your values from the immovable, unchangeable, inerrant, unshakable word of God, you will be tossed to and fro. Your foundations will be weak and unstable. So what does the Bible say about apologetics? Let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. This is Paul again speaking. He said, And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power so that your faith may not rest in the wisdom of men but in the power of God You see everywhere that Jesus went and everywhere that his apostles went miracles and healings followed Ryan go ahead and play everywhere that Jesus went and his apostles went miracles and healings followed you see we shouldn't be shocked when we enter his presence and people get healed. No, we should be shocked when we enter the presence of Jesus and no one gets healed. How did Jesus instruct people to defend their faith or to preach the gospel? We see it plainly in Matthew chapter 10, verse 8. Jesus said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. He said, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, and cast out demons. Ladies and gentlemen, the time that we don't expect much in the presence of God needs to come to an end because we serve the creator of the universe. We serve the healer. We serve the deliverer. Luke chapter 6, verse 17, we see a very familiar scene. Mm. When I need a leader should just begin to pray. Come on, let's just begin to pray. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you. Oh, Jesus, spirit of the living God, I pray that you would move across this room this afternoon. Come on, leaders, pray, 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 pray. pray. Ah, King Jesus, our healer, walk up and down the aisles of this place this morning. Ah. King Jesus, would you reveal yourself to us today, Lord? see this familiar scene in Luke chapter 6. The Bible said that there's a great crowd that have pressed around Jesus. They are pressing into him. They are just trying to touch the hem of their garment. They came to hear Jesus, the Bible says, and to be healed of all of their diseases. And those who were troubled by unclean spirits were cured and All the crowd sought to touch him for power came out for him from him and healed them all. They pressed around Jesus. He said, if we can just touch the hem of his garment, we know that we will be healed. If we can just touch the hem of his garment, we know that our unclean spirits will be cured. And then Jesus stepped up and he preached the message of the Beatitudes. One of the foundational messages of all of Christianity, he spoke, why? Because the miraculous power of Jesus paved the way for the truth of his word. Jesus, would you manifest your power in this room this afternoon? Would you manifest your power in this room this afternoon, Jesus? of my favorite stories in the bible john chapter 9 verse 25 we see this story of the blind man this is a blind man who has been unable to see since birth and he's crying out to the lord lord would you heal me would you forgive me of my sins i'm a sinner have mercy on me heal me and jesus touches him and heals his blindness and That vile, evil, disgusting religious spirit, the religious leaders of the day, they grab this man who's been healed, and they bring him in, and they begin to accuse him. And they say, you know, the man who healed you, he's a sinner. You know he's demon-possessed. How did he do it? Why did you let him do this? What happened? And this, the answer that this simple beggar gave to the religious, I can just see his face. He said, look, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know is I was blind and now I see. He said, I was blind and now I see. So Lord, to those in this room who are filled with doubt, To those in this room who have wrestled with you, God. To those who came just because somebody invited them, but they're filled with doubt, or maybe others they once walked with you and they've drifted from your presence and they've deconstructed their faith and they believed the lies and the manipulation of others. Lord, I pray that you would give them an experience that they can no longer argue with. Lord, I don't know all the things, but I know that I was once blind, but now I see. Because The greatest defense of the Bible is an encounter with its author. So Lord, encounter us in this place today. Encounter us in this place today. See, It's too late for me. It's too late for you to try to convince me that that Jesus doesn't heal. Nikki and I had been married just six months. We were 23 years old, just babies. Nikki worked at a hospital, and she went in to draw one of her patient's blood, and he was very um, combative, angry, and they knew that, and she had built this rapport with him, and he got angry with her about something, and he turned around, and he hit her, And when he did the needle that she had used to draw his blood with was stuck into her and she was immediately nervous because she knew the man had multiple diseases he had stds and all types of diseases she called me and we started to pray and about a week went by and i'm at my office and i get a call and she's just weeping and crying and i knew what it meant i left my office and i went to be with her the hospital had come back with her results and said that she had hepatitis. It was a very dangerous kind. And we went to the doctor. It was the disease top disease control specialist in Dallas at the time. And we sat down at his desk and he began to walk us through and give us pamphlets and information. And this is what's going to happen. This disease will attack her liver. And there's nothing we can do except treat the symptoms. but. Over about a decade, maybe a little bit longer, her liver will begin to die and she won't be eligible for a transplant because if she gets one, the disease will just attack the new one. We're gonna do the best that we can to mitigate the symptoms, but there's no cure. And he said, there's a 50-50 chance you'll pass this disease onto your children and there's a pretty good chance you'll pass it on to your husband and here are the precautions you need to take and this is what you need to do to try to prevent that. You need to consider not having kids and all of these things. And We cried and we wept. Later that evening, Nikki comes out of the bathroom, out of our bedroom area. She's got a trash can in one hand she has all of those pamphlets in the other. And she said, I refuse to believe the report of the enemy. She put all of that stuff in the trash and she said, I'm believing that God will heal me. And about two weeks later, we're back at that doctor for a follow-up appointment and He's looking, he's holding two documents in his hand and he's looking back and forth at him and running his fingers through his hair and he looks white as a sheet and we're like, what is going on? And he said, Mr. and Mrs. Cody, I have held her blood in my hands. I ran the tests myself. I see in this document that she has hepatitis and I see at this one that her body has kicked the disease out and she's developed antibodies to it. That was 20 years ago and five kids later. She's perfectly healthy and all of our children are healthy. There's no amount of argument that can defeat my experience. You can mock the Holy Spirit. You can tell me that your theology doesn't align with the miraculous. You can tell me that God doesn't do that anymore and there's no such thing as healing. All I know is I was once blind, but now I see. Come on, everybody stand to your feet. Nobody looking around. Don't look at us. Come on, let's focus on the Lord. Let's just begin to give God glory. Come on, lift your voices. Lift your voices and give God glory. like Paul said, I don't come to you with great lofty words of wisdom, but in demonstration of power. And I believe this this afternoon that God is going to shatter some of your unbelief. Come on, I can feel unbelief in the room, but I'm not afraid of it. I believe that God is going to shatter your unbelief. Come on, somebody partner with that. That God is going to shatter your unbelief. So, Father, I pray that you would miraculously heal today. Lord, that you would operate in demonstrations of power today, God. Lord, that through demonstration of power, you would reveal
1: yourself to be true. All I know is that I was once blind.
0: Nobody looking around, nobody looking around. We're giving all attention and glory to the Lord. In first service, we saw 10 people at minimum that I counted receive a miraculous healing. That is people that had a pain or an injury when they walked in the room and didn't have it when they left. I tell you this because the Bible says we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. We know from example after example of miraculous healings in the word that people's faith were were activated through the word of others' testimony. So I'm going to ask you today, if you have a pain or a sickness or anything in your body that you need healed, just put your hands up in the air. Just put your hands up in the air. If you have any area of your body that you need healing for some of you it's anxiety or depression or mental illness if you have anything that you need healing just lift your hands lift your hands lift your hands so father we come into agreement with your word come on pray church we come into agreement with your word and we speak miraculous healing god Lord, from the top of their head to the sole of their feet. God, I pray that you would heal even the unbeliever. I sense in my spirit that some of you have a sickness and you didn't raise your hand and God's going to heal you. God, I pray that you would heal your children. Operate. Demonstrate your mighty power in this room today. Demonstrate your mighty power in this room today, we pray. God, right now, let the heat, uh, let there be heat, God, in the affected area. The areas that were painful, the things that hurt, let them feel a physical manifestation of your glory and your power. God, heal their bodies
1: in the name of Jesus.
0: i felt the Lord say that some of you have been tormented by unclean spirits. Mm. Come on church, let's partner with the Lord. Some of you have been tormented by unclean spirits. It doesn't mean that you're not saved. It doesn't mean that you're not a Christian you may be a christian and have daily encounters with the lord but some of you have been tormented by unclean spirits lies depression it sapped your energy you felt filled with anxiety what i heard was like a swirling swishing sound around your head, around your head, that has taken your joy and your peace. And sometimes what is intended to be the most joyful, peaceful time of your life, I even hear some of you praying, saying, God, there's nothing going on. I don't understand why I feel this way. You've been brought here this morning, and I'm here to tell you today, there are unclean spirits that the Lord wants to deliver us from. Put your hands over your ears and on your head. Come on, put your hands to your head. Father, in the name of Jesus, Father, we rebuke every spirit but the Holy Spirit. God, deliver from unclean spirits. Chantel, put your hands on your head. Chantel, put your hands on your head. We come against unclean spirits that would torment and try to
1: take away our joy. In the name of Jesus, the Lord rebuke you. Ah. The Lord rebuke you. Every unclean spirit you must leave in the name of Jesus and God give us way.
0: you that if you are in pain or you were in pain and somewhere in your body I want you to do what caused you pain before believe God has healed some people so if you couldn't move a certain way or do a certain thing without pain try it out right now nobody's looking around this isn't a show come on this isn't a show if you couldn't bend down without pain try to bend down if you couldn't lift an arm without pain try lifting your arm Come on, activate your faith, activate your faith. All right, if you were in pain before and you're not now, lift your hands. Come on, just lift up your hand. There's one, two, three. Come on, give the Lord glory. Lord, we give you glory. Lord, we give
1: you glory. We give you glory. We give you glory.
0: ago, Pastor Landon came and preached, and he prophesied over Mercy Culture Waco that this was a tent of miracles, and it is my job as your pastor to steward the prophetic word of our apostolic covering, to steward that prophetic word that this is the tent of miracles, and what I'm doing is teaching you how to operate in the miraculous. Come on, we are learning as a family how to contend and believe for healing. I want to teach you. How many of you felt opposition or difficulty this morning until we broke through? Did you feel that? We're going to keep pushing through. We're going to keep breaking through. We're going to continue to see the miraculous happen. All right, for some of you. For some of you, I have this sense that some of you have feel like you were partially healed, but you haven't completely been healed. Come on, if you are about 80% better than you were when you came in, but you're not totally healed, lift up your hands. Uh, One, two, three, four, five, six. If you're about 80% better, just wave your hand. Come on, let's contend for their complete healing. Father, he that began a good work shall complete it. So, Lord, I pray for the complete healing of your sons and daughters. Lord, I pray for the complete and total healing. God, we pray for 100% improvement. God, that you would do a creative miracle in the lives and bodies of your sons and daughters this afternoon. God, that you would heal nerves. That you would heal muscle and bone and sinew. God, whatever the situation is, Lord, that you would heal them right now in the name of Jesus. Now I want you to try to do what caused you pain. Come on, I want you to test and see. Try to do the thing that used to cause you pain. Come on, try it again. say, yes, now I've been totally healed. I feel complete healing. Lift up your hand. One, two, three. Come on. Let's give the Lord glory. Let's give the Lord glory. looking around I feel like there's one more group that I need to pray for if you have a sickness maybe it isn't a pain maybe it's something internal something that you you can't know if you've been healed of in the moment for some of you it's a chronic disease I just sense that there's people that have had chronic issues with digestion you have a chronic sickness of digestion or an immune deficiency or some other chronic issue. I want you to lift up your hands if that's you. Come on, just lift up your hands. Lift up your hands, whatever it might be. Father, we just pray, God, every sickness, every disease, every bit of fear, depression, anxiety, schizophrenia, cancer, immune deficiencies, chronic illnesses, tumors. God, we bind and rebuke them, and I pray that you would release your power in the name of Jesus. Come on, just like you did to the woman with the issue of blood, just like you did to the man with the withered hand, just like you did to the man at the gate beautiful, just like you did to the blind man. God, would you release your power. Lord, would you defend your faith through the operation of the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. Heal your children, Lord. Heal your children, we pray. In Jesus' name. just lift our hands and give him gold. Hand lifted, every hand lifted. God, we don't take for granted Worthy what You've done. We don't take for granted what Worthy You've done, Lord. time everybody now everybody if you've been healed today of anything only if you've been healed don't lie tell the truth if you've been healed today of anything just lift up your hand put your hands up as high as you can as high as you can 1 2 3 4 5 6 7 8 9 10 11 12 13 14 anybody else 15 come on 16 17 18 wow 19. anybody up here 19 people got healed this morning wow so listen 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 10 people were healed in the first service 19 were healed in the second service give god glory for 29 miraculous healings Where's our our leadership team? Listen, I want to begin to take, the Lord showed me we're gonna have hundreds and thousands of documented healings in this place. And today we're starting to keep count. So beginning today, 29 and counting. Come on somebody, 29 and counting.
1: Let's give the Lord one more big hand clap. Thank you, Jesus. Come on now,